Hello and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips. And I'm Vic Hillman. Yay, Vic's back! Vic's back! Woo! Hey everyone, hope you had a good summer. And yeah, it's been, got a few months now, hasn't it, Neil? So yeah, I, I, I am think... back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Thank you, good to be back. Let's go with our latest sightings. So have you seen anything, Vic, since I... you were last on? <laughs> quite a while ago. In this country? Um, <laughs> no, not really. A couple of butterflies and that's about it. I have a little robin that comes and sits and looks at me through the door when I'm having my breakfast in the morning. But yeah, not I haven't actually been out and about since I've been back. So I don't really have any sightings. Um, but I did spend seven and a half glorious weeks in Switzerland recovering and recuperating. And I saw lots when I was out there, but nothing here since I've been back. How about you, Neil? Bizarrely, not really been out since the first weekend of September, thanks to all the fuel crisis and all that nonsense. But... I did manage to go out, well, say go out, I had a, a gig, for lack of a better word, up at WWT Martin Mir. They had their Northwest Birdwatching Fair, so they booked me in to give a life in ponds and pools talk and, you know, all my standard pond creature photos. Went down quite well, WWT were very welcoming. And of course, while I was there, I did enjoy the reserve itself. Got some great collection birds there and... There's quite a bit of wildlife as well, because they feed the swans and stuff right outside one of the hides. And you get the hooper swans coming in. There's some skeins of pink-footed geese late in the evening. That was quite nice to see. But what was really cool was right in front of the hide, some gobwits, or a black-tailed gobwit, I should say, and some knot were, like, right in front of the hide. So, got some nice pictures. And they've got tree sparrows there, which is nice to see, because I don't get to see them very often around here. And the hide right at the far end, when I was there one evening, a hare came out and, you know, it wasn't super close, but it was still nice to see a hare. It's always nice to see a hare. I did have a day off work. So that one was out a couple of days ago. I went down to Rainer Marshes and, you know, there was a few bits about all the, you know, it's autumn now. Boo. So all the marsh frogs and stuff had disappeared. But there's a very tame kestrel there and I had it fly right past my head and catch a vole about four metres from me on the path and then sit on a fence a little bit further away and let us walk well, say oh, there's another photographer next to me walk pretty close to it so I've got a few pictures that are rather graphic of a kestrel eating a vole then I carried on walking around the reserve and when I got back to the centre I thought go grab me lunch oh there's that kestrel again I think followed it down to the sea wall not chasing it but I should I, just following it because it just didn't seem fussed by me and it ended up hovering right above my head about the height of a house so above my head, looking straight down at me, which was really quite cool. And it hunted a few times, flying past me and stuff. Really nice to see. I think it was eating sort of caterpillars and crickets or something it was catching in the bramble. So that was quite a nice thing to see after not really going out very much. So, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Can't moan. Well, I can moan. <laughs> so I am because it's autumn. And it's a maximum amount of time till all the cool dragonflies and stuff come out. Although on Sunday it was quite warm and I saw a willow emerald, the latest ever damselfly I've ever seen. And a few common darters and even a baby lizard. So that was quite nice. Probably my latest reptile, that is, actually, now I think about it. It is quite late, isn't it? But then, yeah, I mean, I, I walked, had a quick walk out today and it surprised at how warm it actually is out there. They are forecasting some very cold weather, but, you know, you know how reliable that is. It wasn't in the Daily Express, so a bit more reliable than normal, but, oh. um, yeah. We'll I'm waiting for that. They always have that, don't they? Blizzards on the way about this time of year. Mm. And then we must just reprint the same story. While you've been away, Vic, I've been a bit neglectful on news and not quite so neglectful, but I have been missing out our thank yous for the buy me a coffee. So I do apologise, guys. In my defence, 
For some reason, I stopped getting notifications via email. I think I've fixed it now. But let's give some thank yous. Hawk Honey has sent quite a few in, so thanks for that, guys. Uh, Digby. Digby Rogers. Hello, Digby, by the way. Uh, Ashstead Dave. It's probably Dave Ashstead, I should imagine. It's <laughs> the actual name. <laughs> Utifio. Polly MM. Tim Rice. So thanks, guys. They all bought us a coffee. You can go online if you want to, you know, leave us a tip type thing if you're enjoying what you're listening to. And, of course, the big thank you, I would say, for Heidi Hutton, who's actually a member and pays a monthly thing. So, uh, And we'll be in contact soon with you, Heidi, about your little membership reward. We've had a few reviews as well. Potato Lady Bex on Pod Bay has said we're educational and fun. I discovered this podcast when Neil guested on another show. I'm so glad I subscribed. It's just genuinely enjoyable. I wonder what show that could be. Well, where have I been? Oh, oh, it could be Kian's show, couldn't it? Could Weird be. Atlantic yeah. Weird. Weird. Why? Oh, I forgot what it's called. Wide Atlantic Weird. Dave from Ashstead. Oh, maybe that's the Dave Ashstead again. I've made the connection. Excellent podcast. This is a top-notch podcast. Really well put together and presented. As someone who's interested in wildlife in general, but an expert in nothing. I always find it interesting and informative. Well done, Victoria and Neil. Well, thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Dave. Sorry, very lovely. Bat. Oh, Bat-Eyed. I was reading it as Batied, but it's Bat-Eyed. <laughs> can't read today. Said, staple diet, consume relish fortnightly. <laughs> I think they left this review before my scheduling went out the window. Apologies for that, everybody. I think it's been sort of three episodes in the last week of the month for the last few months. <laughs> but anyway, Neil and Victoria's equitable style, good word, make this a must listen for anyone with an interest in uk wildlife if you happen to like dragonflies frogs or butterflies this is essential listening but all wildlife is catered for fascinating guests given a platform to expound the joys of their chosen subject every episode encapsulates a gem of uk wildlife and you always learn something new yeah, that's a really lovely review really thank you so much guys thanks for all those reviews and carl brooker sent a message in to us i think it was on facebook and he said, how have I missed this site? Love it. Been listening to the Dragonfly episode while driving three miles down a shingle spit to check on our new seal pups. Thank you. And if you haven't guessed, he works at Blakeney. He sent me another update today. I think they're up to... Oh, I've forgotten the exact number. I should have written it down. It's back to somewhere around 50 pups. They're expecting sort of over a thousand. I guess season's just getting started, isn't it, for for the pups now? And But, I've, you know, it's been a while since I've done some seal pups. Maybe I'll make the effort this year. Last time I went to photograph the seals, I actually spent more time photographing the reindeer moss um, in the dunes than I did the seals. So, <laughs> so it might be the last time it's done a nook. I got a wonderful picture. It's the first picture that ever got shortlisted in BWPA. I don't know if I've shown you this one, Vic. It's, it's a lovely juvenile greater blackback goal with its seal pup friend. And by friend, I mean lunch. And by lunch, I mean its eyeball and its beak. Nice. That's a good wildlife interaction. Yeah. You know, photograph. Just, Sent it to a Crunchfile Canada competition. They didn't like it for some reason. I don't know why. Anyone want that to represent December for Christmas? That'd be really nice. On the wall for, you know, a whole month. Just what people want. Yeah. Never mind. One last bit of news. I should have mentioned in the episode when it happened, but I thought I'd save it when Vic's on. We passed 100,000 downloads. I think it was in August. So a big thank you to everybody. We're actually up to 119,000 now. So thanks to everyone for listening, basically, because <laughs> it makes it all worth it. And uh, thanks to everyone that spreads the word as well. 
Yeah, big thank you to everyone listening. And also, I just want to say, because I've, I've obviously not been around since July. Regular listeners to the podcast will know why. But I just want to say a big thank you as well to everyone that sent me um, get well messages and that before my surgery. And that they I did read them all, even though I didn't necessarily reply to them all. It was really lovely. So thank you so much, everyone. Basically, I, I have my surgery a week after my shoulder surgery. I then went to Switzerland for seven and a half weeks to be with my husband for the recovery and recuperation. I've actually been back since the 12th of September, however, undergoing further treatment, which is going to continue um, and sadly is more, is likely to result in me requiring more surgery next year. So I will be taking another break, I'm afraid, but not until next year. Three. So you've got me for a few months. Hooray to the few months, but not the more surgery. But yeah. <laughs> I timed that hooray just wrong. <laughs> you did, Neil. Not gonna lie. Or did I? Yeah, I've, you I've... just want to do several episodes about Poncrete just while I'm not here. Yeah. Basically, incidentally, in the next episode. <laughs> well, one thing we haven't done much is news stories, and what a wait till Vic was here to have one of Neil's rants. We haven't had a Neil's rant for a long time, although it's not really a rant actually. It's just what's happened, which <laughs> ends up being a rant. <laughs> so let's start with the news, shall we? I'll, I'll go first. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, like some anglers that have been moaning about otters the other day eating all the fish and killing the river you will have heard that there's sewage in our rivers now regular listeners to this podcast will already have known that i think we mentioned it in episode one even but it finally made the headline news i'm going to go back to the start of how this happened so basically back in the 90s they privatized the water companies it was all pitched as oh it's going to improve everything private investment blah 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 blah. it started to come to a head what was going on in 2009 we're still in the eu of course, subject to EU environment laws, and the government was found to have failed in its duty to stop thousands of tonnes of raw sewage pouring into the Thames. And the European Commission decided to take legal action owing to the threat to human health and marine environment posed by this untreated water. In 2015, the Angling Trust, Fish Legal and WWF UK went to High Court in a judicial review of the government's failure to stop agricultural pollution degrading 44 rivers, lakes, estuaries, that are specifically protected areas in England. And they believed that the government was required by the EU's Water Framework Directive to stop this ongoing pollution. But of course, that was 2015. And in 2016, we all know what happened, the dreaded B word. And whether you like Brexit or not, it meant the EU legislation, that Water Framework Directive, didn't apply to the UK anymore. But we were promised better environmental laws. And eventually, about two years ago, I think it was, the Environment Bill was proposed and pretty much everyone in conservation circles took one look at it and thought, this is rubbish. There was basically no legal requirements to do anything to protect wildlife, really. And there was a big campaign earlier this year when it went through the House of Lords to get it amended. So you had all the wildlife just RTB, everyone, big campaign online. I think we mentioned it on here to go and sign a petition. And under the pressure, they made some amendments. One of them was to restrict ministerial powers to amend the habitat regulations. They had to improve the risk assessments for pesticides as a threat to pollinators. So we all know about near neckties and stuff like that, try and stop that happening again. Better protection for ancient woodlands on planning developments. And of course, better air pollution regulation and placing a legal duty on water companies to not pump raw sewage into our waters. Of course, the bill went back to the MPs and House of Commons and everyone, apart from the opposition MPs, I think that's a political neutral way of putting it, isn't it, Vic? And to be fair, some Conservative MPs who had coastal constituencies, you know, with a lot of seashore dependent industry on, voted to reject them. 
And I guess they figured that a lot, a lot of things it just slip under the radar. There's a lot going on, you know. But of course, COP26 was going on the next week. So the environment was kind of in the news. And thanks to people like Fergal Sharkey and some journalists that picked up on it, they suddenly found that they had letters pouring into them saying, why have you voted to put raw sewage in our rivers and seas? And then they got more and more of them and then it started making headline news. And there was obviously a bit of panic because suddenly there was MPs saying, oh, no, 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 I was, I knew exactly what I was voting for, but it would cost 100 to £600 billion to repair or sort out the problems with our sewers. Bear in mind, water companies have made £60 plus billion pounds in recent years in profits. People were asking where they got the figures of £600 billion from. And eventually they kind of admitted they just made it up. It was just a very rough estimate. Some MPs were going around accusing the whole thing of being an opposition orchestrated campaign to try and smear them. There was one extraordinary one where someone tweeted to their MP, you voted yesterday to allow water companies to continue dumping raw sewage in our rivers. But you told the Monmouth this was what was killing the Y and USK and not the effect of intensive farming or poultry units near watercourses. And the MP, David T.C. Davis MP, responded, We voted to reduce sewage going into rivers, but we can't risk it backing up into people's homes. The facts were set out, but activists like you are more interested in spreading hatred on Twitter than looking at the arguments in this of all weeks. Shame on you. That's from the MP that voted to put sewage in the rivers. And the week was, sadly, the week another MP was killed. Yeah, I'll let you think what you think of that. I think you can probably guess what I think of it. But then the pressure got really high and they U-turned. Well, they claim they U-turned. Bear in mind, they promised to improve on the EU regs we had before, which stated it was illegal for water companies to dump sewage in our rivers, except in exceptional circumstances. Of course, there's problems with enforcement, as we've mentioned before. But this week they voted again on it and the wording was slightly improved. It basically said water companies are required to a progressive reduction in sewage getting into rivers. So bear in mind it was illegal to dump it except in exceptional circumstances. Now they just have to progressively reduce the amount. I mean what does that mean? There's no target. There's no specific requirements for them to meet and there was nothing mentioned about specific punishments or big fines if they don't show they're improving. So where's the improvement? Personally, that seems worse to me. Weirdly, there was some higher-ups and people celebrating the great new World Lead Environment Bill and can't see it, to be honest, especially when you consider there's not much in it that I could see on reducing air pollution or pesticide use that was put down in Lord's Amendment. But there we go. As far as I can see, the fight to protect wildlife is going on and we're actually starting further back than we were before. Oh, well, that's a nice depressing (laughs) way to end on it. Rather amusingly, though, the head of the EA, who's in charge of enforcing the existing laws, was asked, because a lot of groups want to swim in rivers, and they're one of the people putting pressure on the EA to actually start enforcing stopping people dumping sewage. And when asked why is it not safe for people to swim in rivers, he said, they're not for swimming, but for wildlife and fish, which is an interesting statement. Consider just 14% of England's rivers have a good status, and a good status river only needs 50% of the wildlife and fish it should have so if they're for wildlife and fish why is he not making sure they can live in it and i'm stopping myself from swearing as i say that (laughs) yeah he's the one ultimately that has let the pollution build up to levels that is toxic to wildlife so perhaps he should go and sort out the problem rather than have a go at people calling him out but there we go but you've got a much happier story about someone that's been on this podcast haven't you vic i have i can't remember which episode it was but january it was wasn't it 
Early January, the January February. Yeah, it was definitely, I think I'm sure it was the beginning of this year. We spoke to Ash Whiffen and we've got some fantastic news to share. You know, huge congratulations to, to Ash for this. She's been a recipient of the Marsh Award for Entomology for setting up the Carrion Beetles Recording Scheme and Communication Entomology. It's a really well-deserved award. She's done so much hard work setting up these schemes and, and championing. You know, she's up there with uh, Dr. Erica McAllister and Dr. Helen Roy, proof that entomology is not just for boys. There's some amazing women really championing the invertebrates out there so well done ash huge congratulations from us both brilliant stuff yep if my daughter ever comes home saying oh they said that bugs aren't for girls oh i've got a whole load of people to show her now (laughs) including her i think you've got our next one haven't you neil back in episode 53 we had a bit of a downer episode. Uh, Steve Alane came back, friend of the podcast, you know, sometimes temporary host, a stand-in host, that's the word I'm going for. He came on and we talked about this government-backed plan by the JNCC to remove protection from anything that isn't about to go extinct, which according to our incomplete data would have meant adders lost all their protection. Adders do get killed by people because they're ignorant, but let's not go into that. But some good news. ARC, that's the Amphibian Reptile Conservation people, they announced on Twitter that after some pressure and petitioning from various people, so well done to all those guys, a new consultation from the JNCC is suggesting that not only do they not remove any of the protections for our reptiles and amphibians, but they suggest more protection for adders, which is what they need. So, yeah, because they appear to be our fastest declining reptile, I think, now, adders. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with sort of pine martins in Scotland and stuff like that because there was some question whether that would be removed too. Hopefully they've got the message. Yeah, so not set in stone, but the signs are good. It's out of consultation. I think anyone can contribute. So you can go and say, protect our adders. They need more protection. We we are big adder lovers on this podcast. Yeah. So yeah, they definitely need more protection. I know the sites that I've surveyed in the past around here, they are disturbed so much by dog walkers, actually photographers going out kind of trophy photography hunting. There's a lot of disturbance. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully that they can get some more protection and, and it will really help them. Fingers crossed. But you've got some good news as well, haven't you, Vic? It is. And this one's from actually near me well not too far away and this is beavers sighted in the wild on the river avon but a new sighting of three generations of beavers in a single location has been described as extremely significant to the future of the species the family which included three kits was spotted within the river avon catchment area it's the first time in 400 years that the endangered animals have been seen to establish themselves without help from humans A new beaver management group consisting of conservation bodies as well as local community groups has been appointed to monitor the new population and work with landowners. Its aim is to maximise the benefits beavers can provide in the area as well as manage their impact. And then on top of that, also, after nearly a year of trying, two families and one pair of beavers will be moved to specially selected ponds. I think that's in Scotland, isn't it? Um... It's in the Tay catchment, so it's at the Argetti Red Kites, which is the Red Kite feeding station place. It's a farmer that's very wildlife conscious, so we say. I've got a feeling I've actually been to the Argetti Red Kite feeding station. So, because, because basically up till now, the Scottish Natural Heritage have not been willing to relocate the beavers. So any of the ones that have caused trouble for farmers or landowners, they could get a licence without even, you know, I think it takes a day to do the training for a licence to shoot beavers. And then they get the licence... Whereas this poor chap has spent 
guess part of a year. I mean, and Derek Gow, who had on the show as well, probably about a year ago, wasn't mm. it? He said, shame that Argati had almost a year of utter nonsense from officials involved in the process until Minister told them what to do. Killing licences processed in a dayish. A typical no-nonsense post there from Derek Gow, but he cuts right to the matter as usual. In Scotland, there is loads of habitat that they could live in and cause minimal or no impact to us while providing plenty of benefits, but they won't let you move them. But if you want to go shoot them, here's a licence. It's a little bit silly, but down here in England, reintroductions are creeping closer. There's been a few, how should I put it, boxes being ticked and legislation you know, being approved and stuff, or well, not legislation, but things being approved by Natural England and various other, and DEFRA and various things, to the extent that there was a good interview on, I think it was BBC Breakfast or one of those sort of programmes, and they had someone from the Wildlife Trust and someone from the NFU, you know, for balance, blah, blah, blah. And the person from the Wildlife Trust went into the benefits of beavers, but was very pragmatic about, you know, we'll, we'll have to move or control them if they start causing trouble. And then they cut over to the NFU person for their response, and I don't think they'd expected the Wildlife Trust person to be so pragmatic because they came out with, the NFU is against the introduction of any species. Well, that's a very open-minded view for a start. And I wonder how many NFU members and supporters introduce some of those millions of pheasants and red partridges that we're pretty sure are causing problems for our native wildlife. Don't seem to have any problem with that, do they? And notice again that she said against the introduction of any species. Well, beavers would be a reintroduction, so is she in favour of those? Or is she purposely using the wrong word to make it sound like it's people just randomly dumping non-native animals in the countryside? But maybe I'm just being extra cynical again. (laughs) Surely not, Neil. Me cynical? Never. Never. Me sarcastic? No. We don't do sarcasm on this show. <laughs> no, no, not Never. at all. I'm not looking side to side suspiciously. It's hard to do that on a podcast. It is. <laughs> don't get the facial expressions. No. On the upside, you don't get my face, so you know. Win win. But yes, we're going to go on to our main topic because this is our two year anniversary episode, it is. isn't it? Two years of doing these episodes. It's gone so quickly, hasn't it? And so much has happened in those two yeah. years as well. It's weird. So happy two-year anniversary, Neil. Yay! <laughs> oh, God, how many hours have I spent editing? <laughs> <laughs> I dread to think. Oh, and thanks to Oscar for meaning that for at least two or three months, mm. or however long he did it, um, I didn't have to. We've had a good two years, you know, not including the stuff that's going to be going on in the world. <laughs> the pandemic and everything else. Yeah, you know, but, yeah. you know, covered some good topics and... Got a lot of really interesting topics coming up as well, so... Yeah, yeah. but one thing we've never really done on this is you've had snippets, but we've never really quizzed ourselves on this show, so we thought it would be quite fun to interview each other a little bit and ask some questions, and we got some people to send in some questions, which we're going to ask each other now, aren't we? We are. Did you want to go first? Yeah, well, I think we're going to kind of include two together in this one and, and there is a reason that I'm going to ask Neil this one so it's it's kind of a two-in-one from Jack Perks who we've had on and we've both been on his podcast so hi Jack thank you for your question what is your favorite podcast to listen to in brackets don't feel pressurized to say mine and also from oh, some guy called Ryan Ryan Eco Freak Dalton yeah, who's you he? heard of him Neil no, no, I've never heard of him but he said how about what is the best UK nature and conservation podcast and why is it at into the wild pod yeah that's, so, that's a joke from a professional comedian for you there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Although, to be fair, when I, I confronted him on that, he said, well, if you want a good one, I've got to pay for it because he's professional, which is a good answer. It is. So I'm just going to direct that one at you, Niels, for you to answer. Oh, 
God. Yeah, I've been thinking about this all day. I listen to quite a few uh, wildlife podcasts. There's the Wildlife Garden podcast. That's Ben and Ellie who were on the... Was it, did we do nine podcasters in one episode? I think it was called. It was something like that, yeah. That's good. Um, I've just started listening to Trees... Well, not started. I started properly binging through Trees A Crowd. That's a good one. And I've forgotten the presenter's name. God, that's embarrassing, isn't it? I, I could have told you about 30 seconds ago and it's gone from my head. What happens when we put each other on the spot? Know, it's funny, isn't it? I've been listening to Terrible Lizards. I do listen to Into the Wild. Yes, I do, Ryan. It's very good. I'm very jealous of some of the concepts you've come up with, like the Room 101 one. Well, you just ripped that off from somewhere else, but it still works. <laughs> and Jack, we both do listen to Jack's as oh, well. Oh, of course I listen to Jack's, it goes without yeah. saying, which is called the Beard of Tip yeah. podcast. So, so you should write these down, guys. These are good. Uh, if you go on our podcast Twitter account, I've actually made a list of all the wildlife podcasts. I, I haven't managed to listen to all of them. They're all on there. Church Protozoology podcast, that's sort of what inspired this. And I've already mentioned Kian's podcast, so I won't mention that again. <laughs> pick one. Can't pick one. God, there's Casual Birder. There's Hidden Wings and Bloodlust. There's. I I think it's unfair to ask you. It to pick is. One. That's, that's unfair. Paying devil's advocate. <laughs> I mean, none of them are as good as our podcast, so it's just it's really unfair. To... <laughs> <laughs> I am joking, just in case anyone's wondering. I don't know. It depends what mood I'm in. There we go. That's a good answer. That's a good cop out, isn't it? That's a very different. You've got an even better answer though, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine's actually complete cop out. Basically, I honestly just do not have any time right now. I said I've been back for a couple of months. I am flat out with one thing and another. I just have no time to listen to any other podcast right now. I'm sorry, guys. Total cop out. And I apologise for anyone that, because as soon as I finish recording this, I'm going to think of, or when I'm editing it, I'm going to think of about five other podcasts I should have mentioned. Oh, like the wild episode, see? You know, when I want to have a listen, just listen to someone talk about an amazing species, listen to the wild episode. If I want to hear about gardening, like I said, wildlife garden podcasts, paleontology, terrible lizards, or tet zoo. What, what I tend to do is find a podcast, binge the back catalogue, and then I, as time, because what I do is I listen in the car as I go to work, cause it's an hour commute if I'm lucky, it's near a hour and a half two hours at the moment yeah just binge through the episode then it's sort of oh when's the next one out on the, <laughs> the other ones yeah i'm not uh, i don't want to be you know blacklisted by <laughs> because a lot of these people i know <laughs> or at least know through the internet i can honestly say i like all of those podcasts i've mentioned and there's a load more that i've forgotten off the top of my head because i've been put on the spot but i'm gonna stop waffling now <laughs> you're not waffling are you Neil? me waffle never to your anniversary i've got a Exactly. Oh, charming. <laughs> yeah, you can go off for another three months now. <laughs> I'm to host it on my own. Oh, dear. I haven't done that terrible pun yet. Then I've got the, you know, if we played a UK Wilder podcast drinking game, it'd be all Neil rants. Neil goes off on a tangent. <laughs> They're all Neil things, though, aren't they? Vic yeah. moans about Neil talking about birds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or birds in general. Just birds in general. Yeah. Although I think I have to limit my moaning and complaining now because I am massively enjoying creating needle felted birds. Yep. But they're not your common or garden birds. So they are more special. Like albatrosses and Eurasian, not bee eaters, what the heck was it? Roller. <laughs> I can't remember the bird oh, I went to look for. They were stunning. I haven't finished my. I haven't made it, made any rollers. No. No, I'm talking about what I've, I'm saying special birds, oh. you see. Yeah. God, can you imagine an albatross in your sort of stubby... Do you know what? I I actually have one half made. I have a black-browed albatross oh. half made. And I started making it before the one even turned up at Bempton Cliffs. Oh, all right. And I've not had a chance to finish it yet. You get a bit of a market for those. 
No, I've got Kingfisher, Greenwood Pecker, Puffin, Puffin with sand eels now, Gannet, and two different species of toucan. And drink now for Vic goes off on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Maybe we should write a drinking game. Or if one of you wants to write a drinking game, please do and send it in. For us big drinkers. Yeah. Now. Oh, especially yeah. me. Mm. I drink at least two litres of water a day. Four mugs of tea today? Cool. Yeah, pushing the boat. Oh, that's, that's the hard stuff, that is. Mm. Water with stuff in. Yeah. Wacky. Shocking. Warm water with stuff in. Yeah, I'd go for hot. Whoa. It was at least boiling. Calm down, calm down. Take it easy. Pace yourself. Crazy stuff. <laughs> Crikey. Next should be on the coffee. Right, <laughs> I'll do the next one, shall I? Well, a good yeah. one to start with after talking podcasts would be Corvid Crazy Chap, long time fan and contributor to the show. That's at Shepherd Wells on Twitter. Asks, how did your interest start? Who sparked your interest? I'm actually going to have to say partially my parents because growing up dad would always take us out on a Sunday morning to go and help with some of the kind of jobs and that that needed done at one of the local nature reserves and so we did that at a really young age it's also out and about a lot in fells of the lake district and stuff so I definitely have to say my parents for for really kind of sparking that interest and I know like I think I could say David Attenborough because I think how many of us have not been inspired by David Mm. Attenborough but also I have to go with Jane Goodall as well i actually was incredibly lucky to see her speak many many years ago at bristol and it was honestly probably one of the most inspiring talks i've ever been to so yeah that kind of has has driven me on onwards and on the path today um, but how about you now how did your interest start i don't know it must have been reading books and stuff I never read fiction. I have done since, obviously, now, but I always used to read non-fiction books. I'd always go straight to the non-fiction bit in the library and get some books out. I had plenty of books myself. My parents, again, they weren't wildlife nuts, my parents. We used to put a bird box in the garden, a bit of bird food out, but my parents are gardeners more than wildlife. My mum, probably more wildlife, and she still gets, you know, still gets me to do things and she listens to the podcast so hello mum if you're listening hi Neil's mum <laughs> she, she started listening about a month or two ago so that's quite good oh well, my parents both listen yeah. as well so. oh, I'll go off on a, a tangent uh, what's really funny is she always rolls her eyes if I moan about a certain Prime Minister but when Yolo moaned about him she fully agreed with him <laughs> so it's very good how he puts it it's like oh right I'll see yeah yeah my parents I remember my nana showing me the garden birds on the feeder and help me identify them when I was down in Cornwall. We used to go to the beach down there with my grandparents and my parents, that sort of thing. I think one thing that probably, you know, about that time, year five, year six, when you start to have been, no, it would have been year four, I had a really good teacher, Mrs. Mallet, I still remember her name, and we had someone from the Wildlife Trust community. We did a mini beast hunt in the school grounds, and from then on, I've basically not stopped doing mini beast hunts. My, that primary school teacher was really good. It shows you how good she was. When we did the taxonomy of animals so you're going through birds or birds have feathers lay eggs blah 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 blah. she got to the mammals and she said they give milk to the young and give birth to live animals of course my hand went straight up and she prepared for it (laughs) she knew (laughs) she knew i was going to say that echidnas go lay eggs she even went except and neil will come to you in a minute and then she said neil so what's the exception and i said oh i didn't say monotremes isn't what they were then but echidnas and platypus because, of course, they lay eggs. So having a good primary school teacher at just that right age, I think, helped. Obviously, through senior school, you have to sort of hide what you really like because you're a nerd and you get bullied. And it wasn't until I got to uni and started playing with a camera, I got to the obsessed level <laughs> now, really. Yeah, and but Attenborough, Trials of Life. If I was ever ill off from school, I'd put on the Trials of Life. Um, I used to watch a really wild show. Nick Baker was my hero for that sort of thing. Not that I'd, you know, say it now. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> I kind of know him now, don't I? Which is just really weird. I think 10-year-old me's head would have exploded if he knew I'd get to meet him in such a nice way. Yeah, I guess that's how it all started, really. I think it's amazing how much difference a teacher can make. I mean, I had the most amazing biology teacher at school, Miss Bogan. I remember her name as well. She just, if somebody showed an interest, they would really nurture that interest. I think it does make a, a huge difference, for sure. And, and you were saying about books, Neil, and I, I would agree, like Gerald Durrell's books are, they're great reads, you know, for, for children, some of them. The I, I and Me or The I, I and I or something. And My Family and Other Animals, great books. Yeah, but I think it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how like a teacher can stick in your mind as well. Yeah being there to kind of help help nurture those I mean, interests. I did have a, a bad teacher that uh, <laughs> didn't like, <laughs> it was a polar opposite a few years, a couple of years later and I still remember her teaching us, this is when Pluto was still a planet, that Mercury was the smallest planet. And I said, no it's not, it's Pluto. And she chastised me, so the next day I brought in a book she was using a 1960s textbook to teach us astronomy. <laughs> and when I brought in a more modern book showing them that Pluto was smaller, she didn't even want to look, she refused to look. So that was fun. And that's it for part one. I mean, what do you expect me to edit it all in one go? It's a long episode, alright? Tune in for the next episode for part two.